Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. My name is Tom Stutter. And I'm Jamie Hoffman. And today I'm really excited to welcome to our show, Ama Marfo. Ama, say hello to the audience. Hi, everybody, and thank you for having me, Tom and Jamie. Yeah, well, we're really excited. Full disclosure, we have not officially met. You're actually one of the few guests that doesn't have a direct connection with either myself or Jamie. The reason I was so excited- That's not exactly true, Tom. I have met Ama. Oh, you have. Oh, my apologies. I guess I didn't tell you that we've met, but we've also been connected on LinkedIn and yeah. Facebook for quite some time. Alma leads some really, really great professional development and collaborating groups, which actually, if you're interested, we can link to in the show notes. Sure. Yes. Awesome. Well, I apologize for that. I will say, Alma, you and I had not met before. And what I'm really excited about is that you were one of the first persons to respond when we initially floated the idea on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and every other social media avenue. You were one of the first people to respond saying, yes, that's a great idea and I would love to be on the show. And when we were deciding on the list of guests, you were on the top of that list based on the experiences you've had and and what we thought you could bring to the table. So forgive me if I'm a little giddy about having you on the show. So thank you again for agreeing to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there is an appetite for this conversation. So anywhere that it's being had, I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, good. Yeah, it's it's been sort of interesting as we've had the different guests and as obviously we've started to release our episodes to see the people that have expressed interest in not only listening to the podcast, but but reaching out to either Jamie or myself and wanting to have conversations about it. it it's clearly sort of reached ahead, right, uh, in, in our environment. And particularly, I would imagine that with COVID-19 happening, there's probably even more folks that are thinking this might be the right time to pivot out of higher education. I've, I've said many a time, I used to be the director of new student orientation at the University of Southern California. And when COVID started and I watched my former colleagues race to literally flip their orientation program in a matter of minutes because you know, they were already in that getting ready to go mode when COVID hit. I can't imagine having to do that. And so I can imagine that there's lots of folks out there that are thinking, hmm, maybe the grass is greener on the corporate side. Hint, it's the same shade of green. It's just a different sort of different sort of grass, really. But I, I would imagine that that in, in the world today, that the conversation is happening even more so, or people are are at least thinking a little bit more about making that pivot. Yeah, I think it's been probably two different things at once. So I think about it in terms of how the pandemic changed the nature of the work that's being done. And anybody who was kind of having an inkling of, I'm not sure if this is the way I want to be working. And then something like this hits, 
that's a confirmation in a lot of ways. But I also, the deal, yeah. <laughs> and I also think that in being maybe not confined, confined's not quite the term, but I think in having some more opportunities to sit with our thoughts, sit with ourselves, a lot of natural inflection points kind of presented themselves. So I think people decided on a lot of different life changes. Like maybe I don't want to be doing this work. Maybe I don't want to live in this place. So it's a good opportunity for reflection. And I think between those two things, that's probably a big piece of why this conversation has gotten louder within the last year or so. Yeah. So I guess it's good timing for us to have a podcast then. So again, excited that you're here. Let's get it started. You know, let's just kick it off and talk to us a little bit about your background in education. So let's see if I can do the short version of this. Um, Was very involved in college, like I'm sure so many of your previous guests have mentioned was part of their experience. I was on our programming board, a programming entity that was in collaboration with our alumni office. I worked in athletics. I was an RA. I did most of the things, not all of them, but most of them. And then around the time I was graduating, I started getting those questions because I went to a college, University of Rhode Island, that has a college student personnel program and got that question that the involved students get, oh, do you want to do this full time? And I said, no, thank you. (laughs) I graduated, went into professional event planning for the city of Clearwater, Florida, did a couple other things, and then found a position that I thought was an events position at a community college. And then once I got there, surprise, it was advising student government. Surprise, it was supervising a uh, programming space. So I backed into this work, realized that I liked it, didn't really want to do it at the particular campus I was at. So then I went into a grad program, did an assistantship before going into a couple other campus-based positions. And then the tail end of 2015, a lot of things were starting to change for me. I was doing a lot of research. So I was traveling to conferences and doing a lot more writing and just spending more time in work that wasn't just the on-campus-based student interaction pieces. So with all of that kind of balancing, I started paying really close attention to what it felt like to do each of those things. And I think coming back from a trip, and I remember it was November of 2015, I'd come back from like my third trip that month and just said, what if I wasn't doing the campus stuff anymore? So I went into my boss's office and said, I think I'm done. And he's like, with this job? And I was like, no, I think I'm kind of done overall. I kind of want to do something different. And he said, do you want to think about it? And I said, nope, I wrote it down, gave him my resignation letter. Then the beginning of 2016 started working for myself as a speaker, facilitator, writer, and since then have put on so many other different hats. That's, that is amazing. You know, I think one, I think a lot of people are going to be jealous of the, the fact that you made that decision for yourself and, you know, had that conviction. I think, you know, a lot of us have the conviction that, that, that we are interested or wanting to do something different, but being able to sort of write it down, hand in the resignation letter and have that conversation sort of in the moment. I think that's really unique and a really, a real testament to, to the power of who you are as an individual, but sort of the power of your, of your personal conviction. So I will say, as you, as you shared the story, it scared me to think about had I done that, what that would have looked like, but pretty amazing to see, you know, that you did it. And, you know, on the flip side, how, how accomplished you've been and how successful you've been. Yeah, it, uh, it was scary and it stays scary. Cause I get that question a lot. They're like, was it scary? And I answer was, and continues to be, it's never really stopped, but I also think that it was the right decision for me in terms of how I wanted to be working, the kinds of things I wanted to be working on. And even in the moments when it's been really difficult, I've never regretted it. I've never thought it was the wrong choice. I thought I should have saved some more money before I did this. I've thought maybe I should be charging more to keep myself going, but 
the actual move itself never felt wrong. That's, I mean, I, I have, you know, interacted with you in different ways over the last few years, but mostly on social media and I, but I don't think I've heard that part of your story that you walked in and said, no, this is it. I guess I was wondering in my mind, and I know folks would want to see is what did you use as strategies to sort of make that decision? I mean, I, I heard you say that you did some reflection, but if you were to kind of discuss it in a way that, you know, other people are like, I could do that too. I mean, what would you recommend for folks to think about and, and really envision what you want to do next or what they want to do next? It's a good question. And I will say it wasn't just a matter of just saying, like coming back to campus and just being, I don't really want to do this anymore. What I should also say in the interest of being responsible is that I'd been doing a lot of work prior to that. So even as I was working on campus and student activities and student leadership, I was also doing freelance writing on the side the whole time, I had been speaking at conferences and then increasingly on campuses because I'm based in Boston and we have so many schools here. Once people started to hear what I was working on about working with introverts and student leadership, about building creativity into processes, those were things that other people were interested in seeing. So there was a little bit of a proof of concept in terms of if I wasn't doing the work I'm doing now, what could I be doing? So there were those networks built ahead of time. There were some of those skill sets built ahead of time. So I had a sense of what the other thing I was doing would be. And I had been doing it for long enough that I had started to build a reputation in those spaces. So both of those things contribute heavily to the fact that I was able to do that with that level of confidence. Without those years of experience put in, that would have been a very different conversation if that conversation had happened at all. So when I talk to people, I always tell them, if there's something you're interested in doing, you don't have to charge for it. You don't necessarily have to tell a lot of people about it, but build the skills to do it because you need to be able to do something else. And if that's not the case, there's also opportunities to talk about your skills in different ways. I talk a lot about using different language to describe the skills that you're talking about, because as we know, higher ed uses a language that other people don't use. So are you practiced in talking about what you're good at and where you're valuable in that language? Because that's what's going to help you make that jump. Absolutely. And, you know, I, too, the fact that you did some of those things early on, I feel like also helps to validate that, yes, this is the path that you want to go on. And, and those are tangible things that folks can do. I know there is a Facebook group. <laughs> you may have started this. Did you start the side hustle Facebook group? I didn't. I've been involved with it at some point. I don't know if I am at the moment, but I've definitely interacted in that space and know that it's there. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't have, I don't have any side. Well, I guess I have a side hustle right here, but it's not a paid one. So, and I don't know if I plan to go into professional podcasting. I don't think so, but, uh, but at any rate, I've been in it. And I think that's a, you know, that's a unique, or maybe not unique, but a smart way to get started is just, you know, doing something as a small side hustle, you know, and seeing, seeing if it is something you would want to spend doing every day all the time. So Thank you so much for, for sharing that experience that you've had. Absolutely. And I think it's a great way to test out something that you'd like to do and see if when there are stakes, you still like doing it. Because I think there are a lot of other things that I enjoy, but if I was paid to do it all day, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. And starting by getting paid a little bit to do it, seeing what it would take to push back to the level where it was your full-time employment. And if you like that, I think it's a yeah. good standpoint to come into it it's one strategy yeah 
So one of the things that I think our listeners are interested in, or at least what what I've heard some of them you know, reach out to Jamie and I about is that quote unquote transfer of skills, right? What we've learned on the college campus, will it transfer over to whatever the next is, you know, whether it's going into a, a corporate you know, office, going out and venturing out on your own to do something that you're passionate about, maybe going to work for a nonprofit. You know, talk a little about sort of how the skills that you developed when you were on the college campus have successfully transferred over to what you are doing now and how you communicate that to people in sort of the space that you're in now. So I think that it is absolutely possible. And I think it really comes down to having a good sense of what you're good at and what you have to offer, but also having a good sense of the field that you're targeting and what they need and being able to align your experiences with what they're asking for. So I always tell people to think about what they've done and the stories that they can build around it. And in career services, there's the STAR model that's gotten used really commonly for the situation, task, action, and results. You can turn it into a story that's easy for people to follow. And when I'm talking to people about the skills that they're building, I always change it from STAR to START, because I think the piece that a lot of us are missing is the transfer. So why does that thing that you did on a campus involved with students matter to the software company? They're not going to make that connection naturally. You have to make it. And in making it for them, it gives you the opportunity to show that, yes, I understand where I've been, but I also understand the context and the experience and the value that I have to offer where I'm going. And I think that is what really sets apart people that were successfully able to make that transition is having a sense of what you're really good at and what you can execute flawlessly, but also why that place that you've never been before needs you to do it the way that you do it. So I try to break it down a little bit and then twist it to fit where they're going. And if you're not yet sure how to do that, how can you get into spaces that help you learn that language? Are they doing free conferences? Can you look at their journals? Do, their, do they have podcasts? And all of those places where you can start to say, oh, when we're talking about this, they use this language. And you can translate your story into how they need to hear it to understand it. That's a, that's a great point. And, and we, for folks that are looking to go from higher ed to corporate or education to corporate where publishing at a blog post a couple of weeks like the terminology dictionary Mm -hmm. but I think you know that that's for corporate I mean doesn't include like nonprofits. so I think doing those things you noted but even also getting into LinkedIn groups to learn Mm -hmm. out learn the associations right that I didn't realize there was like a professional association for HR professionals I mean of course there is when you think about it but I hadn't thought about it so I, I learned that through LinkedIn so that's that's really great advice and things that they're their fingertips that folks can start doing. With specific to your journey, I'm really curious to know now, you know, you've chosen this path and you know you admit that at times it's been difficult, but you've never regretted it. But what are things that you miss from working on college campuses? And then on the other end of things, what do you really love about being in this space that you've selected? So the way that I interact with students now, and I still do in some capacities when I speak and facilitate, I really just drop into their world for a day or two, get to talk to them, share things that are important to me that I hope would be important to them, and in some instances, we'll get a little bit of that back. And the thing that I miss is, what did they do with that information in three months? What did they do with it in six months? How is the campus that they're on different for the things that we talked about? Sometimes if it's someone who's a professional that I know, they'll fill me in. But more often than not, 
I drop in and then I leave and I don't get to see that natural conclusion. So the things like graduation, getting to go and see students who have followed this whole journey and I've gotten to see them grow, that's something that I definitely miss. And every year around graduation time, it's always kind of a bummer that the last group of students who I worked with, they've done their journey. So I'm not going to get that again for a while. On the sides that I really like, I think that there's a lot of flexibility that I realized that I needed. And I don't think I knew how badly I needed it until I could provide it for myself. Because I feel like the way that I went about my work was if I could find a way to do it differently or in a way that impacted students more meaningfully, I'd like to be able to make those moves, talk to them and kind of enact a process that would let us move in a different direction. And having been on campuses, you know, and people listening know that pivot isn't as quick. So being able to have the agility to do something differently if something that I'm working on isn't working and even being the type of professional that does multiple projects at a time and being able to shift between those things. I love that. I would not give that back. I think if I was in a situation where I had to go back to just doing one thing at a time, I would probably struggle for a little bit because it's just been so much fun. And then even the breadth of projects that I've been able to work on, I've done marketing projects for institutions. I'm working with an education technology company right now just finished with a project with an innovation alliance with a group of campuses. I also work for a podcast company and I just get to do so many different things. And as I learn things, they can kind of start to cross pollinate each other. So when the ed tech company says, should we have a podcast? I have Intel from my other job to say, I know who else is in that segment. Here's where you can fill in. And it all helps each other become better. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think one of the things that we have in higher education and particularly you know, our background being in student affairs is that, that it can become a little siloed, right? You, you go to the same conferences with the same people year after year. And granted, NASPA has, you know, 5,000 people at it, but, you know, I would congregate to the same people, the people that were in my part of the student affairs profession, you know, the orientation people, and I would sort of go and hang out with them and, and it becomes sort of siloed and you wind up doing the same thing and, and, you know, day in and day out. And while, while, you know, orientation for me was, you know, there was definitely differences day to day, but year over year, it was the same cycle, right? I was doing the same orientation program in 2011 and in 2012 and so, so forth. And I think you're right. The difference that I love about working where I am now and, and recognizing that I'm in a corporate environment is there are days that I do X and there are days that I do Y. And I may not do X again for another seven to 10 days, and I do love that. And, and my calendar looks really different. You know, it's not, I'm not doing eight hours of, of student judicial appointments. I'm doing, you know, a customer escalation followed by a, a customer support issue followed by a training session. And I love that about sort of the fluidity of the world in which I'm in now. And so I certainly appreciate that. One of the things that I, I, I also wanted to sort of highlight that you said was, you know, being able to miss sort of what students do after you've had that, that moment with them. And I, I know that will resonate. It resonates with me. The thing that I loved most about working in higher education was those light bulb moments. And our listeners have heard me say that before, you know, that when you saw them get it and you saw them be able to act on it. And I most definitely have FOMO when it comes to May or June when graduation is happening. And, and I see these graduations happening on the college campuses. And I remember the, the feeling that you had, even as a professional on that campus of, pride and excitement because those students, I mean, we call them our students for a reason. They were ours. We, we didn't own them, but 
there's a piece of our soul that we've given to those folks. And, and I, I think that that's, that's a really good way of putting it. You know, about the graduation thing, though, can we just take a moment to say that I don't know how many other folks, but whenever I worked on a college campus I, as a student affairs professional, I had to work the graduation. And when I turned to faculty, I got to be in the graduation. And I always had this reflective moment of like, I'm a part of these students' journey too. Like, I shouldn't be here working it. I mean, somebody has to, right? I get it. But I was like, dang it, I should be celebrating this as well. But just just a random thought that came into my mind. Yeah, it's, it's a whole different experience when you have no hands on any of the happenings. Like the first year that I went back just to go. And then someone was like, I didn't know you were going to be here. And the look of panic in their eyes was like, did someone put me on a schedule? Because I don't work here. Like, yeah, was, I'm not volunteering. Up to me was like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. And I was like, I, I'm not working. I am just watching and you can't make me do anything. <laughs> but I will also say having coordinated so many events on the college campus, one, I feel sorry for any child that I ever have that I take to to a college orientation because I, I feel sorry not only for that child, but I still feel sorry for the orientation team that is putting together that program. When I go back to a college campus, I know in my head I'm dissecting what it is that they're doing, even if I'm not working it. And so to Jamie's point, like even though if I would have been in the graduation, I probably would have tried to figure out a way to also plan it, just knowing my personality. So Or like uh, watch it happening and be like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. No, right? yes. <laughs> oh, no, when I take sure. my kids to college, I'm going to be like, Hey, um, can I have a one-on-one with your RA? Is that weird? <laughs> can we just get started like getting to know each other? Because really, I'm going to be an important part of this picture. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a professor, so he was the one in our oh, that's with oh. the notepad and all of the questions. And I was like, we can't do this at every session. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> awesome. I, uh, you know, and, and a little bit of a side, I remember my undergrad, my, my freshman orientation. It happened in March of my senior year in high school. We traveled out to Arizona State. And my mom, God bless her soul, sat in the hallway the entire time because she said, this is you, you got to figure this out. And I think back to that, that orientation experience to the ones that I ran and the difference in parents between the time that I went to college and the time that I was running college orientation. And I think, wait, what happened to the parent between the, you do it and now I'm going to do everything for you? <laughs> yeah, like what happened? And even as I think about it, because- I happened to go to take a summer class when orientation was happening. So I had already been on campus for about three weeks when the rest of my class came. And it was just this weird thing of like, oh, and here's your room. And I was like, well, can I just stay in the room I have? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I'm already here. Right. So it was a very odd, like separate situation. And like my parents weren't there for that. They were there for the tours and everything earlier, but yeah, I don't even, I didn't have parents with me at orientation. So going through that now and seeing students go through it and my friends that have kids now that are doing it, I'm like, this is totally right. different. Right. There was no such thing as a parent orientation for my, for my mom when, when she came. Now she, she brought me because we were traveling across, you know, the country, somebody had to pay for that plane ticket. But, but then I remember when I moved into college, you know, my mom, you know, we checked in we unloaded the car and there was not a, a helping hand to undo a single box. It was, okay, well, we'll see you at Thanksgiving. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that because it, it turned me into the person that I am today. But then, you know, I, like I said, I ran orientation and, and as the director of orientation, we would have two day programs. 
-hmm. And I would spend 75% of my time with the parent orientation as the director of new student orientation. Yeah. We we knew that the parent piece was vital to the success of the orientation program as a whole and whether or not that student was ultimately going to to enroll and, and show up on that first day of classes. So it's a, it's definitely a changing world in which we live in. So yeah. So um, uh, this has been fantastic. And I, and I, part of me wants to just continue this for days because I'm, I'm loving the energy that you're bringing to our podcast. So I certainly appreciate that. But I, I want to ask you just sort of, you know, one final follow-up question in two parts. You know, what's next for you? You know, I know that you're in a place now that you, that you're pretty excited about what you're doing, but where do you see yourself? What, what, what's next? If there is anything next, and maybe, maybe you haven't thought about that. I know when people ask me that question, I look at them like they're insane because I'm like, I'm just growing into the role I'm in now, but beyond what's next for you, what advice do you have for, for individuals who are thinking about making that first pivot out of education? Hmm. I don't really know how to answer the where am I going question. And I think that's because in a very real sense, if you had asked me five years ago what I was, would be doing, I wouldn't have been able to say anything close to what I'm doing right now. So being able to have the skills and the reputation to do things like do a TEDx talk or be able to do things at conferences like South by Southwest or work for tech companies and have that be something that made any sense. I actually just finished a writing project with a nonprofit that's putting together comedy material to kind of espouse the beliefs and mission of their organization with comedy. And that's something I never thought I'd be able to do. So I don't really know. But what I do know is that it starts from being able to spend the time it takes to get good at the things that I want to get good at, and then interacting with people who will give me opportunities to do those things. So for me, I think the part that is hugely important when I talk to people who are looking to make a pivot, I always tell them to get good at the things that you want to be able to keep doing and find people who can assert that you're good at those things and can kind of talk you up and get you into those spaces. One of the things that when I first started talking to people about what I call defecting, but ultimately pivoting out of higher ed is that it felt really lonely because nobody was talking about it. And I think the fact that there's a conversation big enough that it merits having a podcast, that's such progress in maybe five or six years, that it's normal to want to explore other things, that it's normal to take those skills and use them other places. And with everything that we do with students and encourage them, wherever you feel like you can have the most impact and do so in a way that makes you happy, do it. We shouldn't be any different for each other. So not just recognizing that that's a possibility, but really encouraging people to do it and giving them help when you're able to. I think that's such a big part of this. It's always been really important to me and it seems to be important to you all as well or a public forum to share these conversations wouldn't exist. Absolutely. And and that was what, you know, Tom and I said in the beginning when we were in Hawaii. It was tough, you know, coming up with a podcast idea in Hawaii, it but no, it's just that- impossible. It was, it was really hard. I mean, we did have to take a lot of tests to be COVID safe, but, but no, we had, we had a great time, but, but, you know, part really what the impetus was, was that we wanted to help other people discover this path because it's not really, I mean, your, your term defecting is interesting too, because I I think that it's not necessarily leaving higher ed. We're trained to come into higher ed and stay, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get degrees that are labeled things that, unfortunately, people don't always know what it is outside of higher ed. And that's why we have to do even more to translate it. 
but we're not really trained to believe that there are other paths. And I would really like to see the profession adjust in that way. I mean, I've said on another episode that like even our national associations and I, and you may have encountered this with NASPA or ACPA too, but you know, I went from being on the faculty council for NASPA one day and the next day I started working adjacent to higher ed in a company and I could no longer serve in a leadership position. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have changed here, folks. Like, you know, I, I'm literally the same person and I'm not in a sales role. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. So there's a lot of adjustment that needs to be done. And I'm glad that you've given space to that in the work that you've done. And I would love to ask a quick follow-up, which is that, you know, you've done something unique to some of our other folks who have, you know, moved on to a more traditional, like full-time position, but just in corporate. And you have, you're in a position where you're sort of selecting and choosing the things that are going to, it sounds like, draw upon your strengths and, and bring you energy. And I'm just curious if you have advice to folks that are thinking about doing that, what are some of the pros and cons that they should consider? That's a good question. I think that, and I've said this, I don't know if I've said it in as many words, but while I think that there is utility for basically anybody in higher ed to be useful in other places, not everybody should work for themselves. That's not something that everybody can or should do. And I also regularly say I'm only a good boss to myself about 65% of the time. But I think that being the type of person that likes to jump around and do different things, who's comfortable with taking on a number of different roles, like that part is helpful. So if I did need to spend like several days figuring out like my own tech stuff, for example, that's something that I can do and I'm fairly comfortable with. I don't love it, but I can do it. Being the type of person who can kind of regiment herself to if there's a deadline, being able to get all of that work done. That is not a skill that everybody has. And it's one that I've had, but I've had to get considerably better at. And I think being able to figure out what kind of person you are can be helpful in managing that piece of it. In terms of cons, I mean, aside from the tax implications of it, because it's not always easy to figure out how you should do that, it can get a And that is just a follow-up for folks that that don't know. That's because... Mm -hmm. Most time, are you independent consultant? So you're not necessarily always getting taxes taken out. So you, at the end of the year, you get your your W twos, but you have to figure out the you know reconciling and what can you write off and the like. Is that yes, accurate? Very much okay. so. So yeah, the idea of how much you get paid and having to handle the taxes for that yourself is its own challenge. That yeah. was one of the first things I had to learn. I've gotten a lot better with money because I've needed to be. So that I think my parents would call that a pro. My parents would absolutely call that a pro. But yeah, I think the con piece of it is it can get lonely. So for the most yeah. part, I don't tend to have coworkers if I'm working on independent projects. Now, I've since gotten contract positions with companies, so I work with other people, and that's been better for me than I thought it would be. I'm introverted. I'm okay working by myself, but having colleagues to be able to talk to every day and being able to build community with people who are interested in the same things as I am, that's been really really nice especially this past year because if I hadn't been working that way it would very much just be me yeah. so being able to build opportunities for myself and stay connected to people that can help me find those opportunities has offered a kind of communal work that I didn't originally expect to be doing but has been really really nice to find that's great and you know I think it's great that listeners get to hear about the different projects you're doing to because it just helps people understand that there's so many different things that can be done. I mean, we're 
going to be having Josie Alquist on the podcast as well. And she's, you know, her avenue has been primarily public speaking. So I know you do that public speaking as well. But some of these other uh, opportunities that you've been doing, inclusive of the contract work with EdTech folks. So wonderful having you on our podcast. I just enjoy chatting with you. So I feel like this was just a a double bonus because other people are going to really get the opportunity to hear your stories. And I know that you make yourself quite available if folks, you know, have questions or would like a little bit of advice as well. But it was really wonderful hearing about your journey and your confidence. And of course, we like the start word that we'll be probably using as the title of the episode. But thank you so much for joining us today. And for our listeners, thank you so much for listening this week. And we hope you'll join us for our next episode. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.